disgusting, filthy human being. Filthy human being, you're a filthy human being. Don't you're disgusting. Keep this guy, he got snow dollars. I, I don't get paid by snow That's audio captured by a global news camera crew at Pacific Highway border crossing as they were escorted away from protesters for their own safety. One of many such incidents that's happened across the country over the last few weeks that is changing the way journalists are doing their jobs in an effort to blend in where possible. In Metro Vancouver, ongoing protests have also been coming to the media outlets themselves, with rotating media is the virus rallies held outside CTV, Global, CBC, and City TV. On this episode of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast, we welcome CTV Vancouver News Director Ethan Faber to talk about the realities of what it's like to be a beat reporter right now, how we got here, and the struggle to return to civilized discourse. My name is Ethan Faber. I'm the news director at CTV Vancouver. I've been working in broadcast and digital journalism for 25 years. I got started in Victoria as a teenager, uh, coming on as a panelist on Check Six there, which is the local station still still around, uh, talking about current affairs as a young, naive teenager. And I got the bug early. I went to University of Victoria and was on the campus radio station doing an alternative rock show at three in the morning. And that's when I really started to get serious about wanting a career in broadcasting. And I really loved news my whole life. My mom was a single mom and a teacher. Uh, She went on strike in the early 80s. And that's when I started to realize how politics and and the news and current affairs affects all of us and affects everyday life. So after University of Victoria, I came here to the Lower Mainland, went to BCIT Broadcast Journalism, and that changed my life. I want to start, Ethan, by having you talk a little bit about what's been happening in Metro Vancouver over the past few weeks. We've seen a lot of video of journalists getting harassed while covering protests, but here in the Lower Mainland, the protesters have been coming to you. Yeah, they have. I mean, I've been working now as a reporter, producer, and now newsroom manager for for half my life. And I spent seven years as an on-air reporter, uh, first for BCTV, which is now global, and then for CTV, and covered a lot of protests and faced, you know, all kinds of harassment and abuse. And I understood that was something that comes with the job. Crowds sometimes gather when the lights come on and camera comes on. And even though we would disable the red light on the front of our camera just to hopefully keep the crowds from getting too involved, everybody liked to stand around and watch as I would do a live report. And sometimes they would, you know, heckle or catcall. But something has changed in the last year or so. And yeah, the protests are coming to our newsroom now outside our front door. And they are giving speeches that are sometimes passionate, but often disturbing 
and we've heard some pretty hateful and threatening comments and that's happened out front of many of the different newsrooms in this market so it's not just my own newsroom but it's happening to my colleagues across the industry uh, in and around metro vancouver where protesters are coming to the news stations to the front door and that is something we haven't seen before So what's it been like for your reporters and video journalists and camera operators out on the beat? Well, out on the beat, I am hearing more stories of extreme harassment and intimidation than we've ever experienced. And I don't say that lightly. We've covered many serious protests, but the level of animosity and anger and threat towards journalists in Metro Vancouver lately is unprecedented. And I don't just say that as a 25-year veteran. I was speaking to Mike McArdle, one of our storytellers here just yesterday. He's been in the business for 50 years. He covered race riots in the States, the civil rights movement. He covered Vietnam War protests. You know, he's seen it all. And he says, What he did not see in all of those situations was the crowd turning on the journalists covering the protest, not to the extent that we're seeing now where the protesters are very, very aggressive with the news media. When somebody like Mike, who's been doing it for so long, tells you that, you realize that something's happening. I know you can't speak specifically about measures that you've taken to go incognito out in the fields. But can you speak to the place that this has brought the newsroom to psychologically? Well, I think the worst case so far was just last weekend, where we actually had members of the journalism community physically attacked at a border protest uh, south of Vancouver. And we had shoving and jostling. And then as the journalists got into their news vehicle, there was spitting at the vehicle. Our people were not attacked, but our colleagues were, and they're our friends. And everybody who witnessed it was really shaken up. And these are people with thick skins. You don't get into the journalism business if you don't have a thick skin. But when the criticism turns physical, that's very troubling. So psychologically, I'm hearing from colleagues across the industry who say, and I'm quoting some of them, it's depressing to be yelled at and physically intimidated now on a regular basis. And it's not just happening when journalists are covering protests. It's happening when they're working on other stories. And there's just a level of crassness in the community. And I don't make that generalization lightly. It happened to me personally just a couple of weeks ago. I was walking not far from the station in downtown Vancouver. I was wearing my news jacket with our news logo. And I walked past somebody who was just sitting on a bench near the courthouse. And he started yelling at me. He started shouting anti-Semitic comments, saying the Jews were responsible for COVID. You know, and as a person of Jewish heritage myself, it was very disturbing. My dad would tell me stories of anti-Semitism when he was young, but I'd never experienced it myself. And this person just saw the news jacket and 
appeared to be triggered into a really hateful rant. And I paused and I did turn and I said, do you have something to say to me? And then he just launched into another rant full of anti-Semitic hatred for the news media. And it was very troubling. And I didn't engage beyond that, but it definitely has made me feel very uncomfortable uh, wearing my news jacket and just going about my day. I want to talk about how we got here. There's been this huge escalation over the past few years, as you mentioned, that started with accusations of fake news. And then that was escalated during the 2020 American presidential campaign. But we've gotten to a place now where the term mainstream media is being bandied about like a dirty word. And we can blame lack of media literacy and misinformation. But what's your impression of how we've gotten to this point? Well, I think that this is one of the great questions for our time. I mean, there are obviously media bubbles that didn't exist on social media where people can consume news that has a particular leaning in one direction or another. And I think the authority that used to be sort of granted the media by the public has definitely eroded. There was a time long ago when Walter Cronkite on CBS News could say America is losing the Vietnam War, and that meant something. There was a sense that that newscast and the anchors and the journalism organizations that were covering something so significant as the Vietnam War brought a sense of gravitas and context that could be trusted. But that trust has been eroded. And the reason for that erosion, I think, is extremely complicated. I think there are plenty of reasons for people to feel disillusioned with the quality of their news content that they're consuming. Those criticisms are welcomed. And that's one of the things that I've always found so troubling over the last year is, you know, I've always been open to complaints and criticism and being called out for getting it wrong sometimes. But those were always rational discussions. They weren't tinged with hatred and even threat. And that that's what's happening now that is so disturbing. We're not just talking about the content and whether or not someone is happy with the coverage or whether or not they think something is is balanced or or not there's a belief that we hear quite often in the complaints that we receive that there is some kind of an inherent bias or some kind of conspiracy to suppress a version of the truth and that's a very hard impression to push back on when there's not a discourse that's happening where People are really listening to one another. I understand not wanting to give certain voices a platform, but have you had internal discussions about whether the scope of some of your coverage has been too narrow and whether you've been tough enough on the policymakers, as I'm sure you've received dozens of complaints about over the past two years? Yeah, so the question of whether or not the news media is tough enough on the policymakers is always, always an issue in our industry. And I say that because I've spent a a career pissing off the government 
with coverage that they're not happy about, no matter who's in power. Uh, my very first news director told me, you know, the, the last thing you want is for the government to be phoning the newsroom congratulating you for your story. And so getting under the skin of the policymakers and challenging them when they make a mistake, that's our bread and butter. So it is interesting when criticism comes in that journalists are not being tough enough on the policymakers. I wish some of those critics could hear the calls and the complaints we get from the policymakers. And so it's very, very difficult to counter that impression other than to say that I'm so proud of some of the work that our journalists have done holding government and policymakers to account on their handling of the pandemic, the economy, whatever it is, the people who go into journalism don't have any qualms about asking difficult and uncomfortable questions to policymakers. That's what we do for a living. And boy, oh boy, the policymakers tell us that they're not happy sometimes when we ask tough questions about the disastrous handling of of protecting seniors in long-term care during the pandemic and many of the other policies that came out that were questionable. We've been proud to ask those difficult questions and proud to get under the skin of the policymakers. Most outlets have largely decided not to report on the assaults happening to their people or on these protests that are happening right outside your doors. Can you talk about that choice? Yeah, well, when... You get into the news business, there is a bit of a tradition that we don't want to be the story, that we are witnesses and not participants in the events that we cover. And so when our people are physically assaulted, we do face that tough question of asking ourselves, when does this become news that we need to cover? And so in the case of the physical attacks that occurred just a week ago at the border here in British Columbia, we did decide to cover that because it was a physical attack and we felt there was an obligation to tell that story. And so it is an uncomfortable and difficult question for us because we really do like to keep the spotlight on the people who are making the news and the newsmakers, not ourselves. So yeah, you're right. It, it is a challenging question of when do you have to accept the fact that now as journalists, you are the story. When you're physically attacked, I'd say that's a threshold where we do have to look into what happened and report it. You've told me that you're worried that this is going to end in real violence like it has in several instances in the U.S. Well, it has already resulted in real violence just this weekend with shoving and spitting at people. So that to me is violence. And how far it's going to go, I don't know. I think that so far we haven't seen anything more violent than that. But there's an uneasy feeling. And so that's why we're talking about safety, the whole industry. How do you think the bigger networks go about regaining trust in media? Well, that question assumes that trust in media has been lost. And it's difficult to tell whether or not that is a statement that applies 
to the whole culture. I mean, we have standards and practices that we continue to follow. And we hold ourselves as an industry to very high standards around accountability, around sources, around balance and accuracy. And I think that when we tell stories that people can see are making a difference, like we just did during the massive flooding here in British Columbia, I do think that helps remind skeptics that we do serve a noble role in our democracy. And when our people were out there in the flood zones back in November, the criticism and the animosity definitely died down for a while. So I don't know that something needs to change in the way we tell our stories because we do continue to hold ourselves to very high standards. And anyone who doubts that, I welcome the doubt, but I encourage people to do some research and look at the RTDNA code of conduct or the Canadian Association of Broadcasters codes. And if you read them and you see there that there is a very high standard that we hold ourselves to, and we are accountable. When people complain, they can complain formally about accuracy or bias. And if you're a member of the Canadian Broadcast Standards Council, as most private broadcasters in this country are, we're obliged to respond to those complaints. So we are accountable and will continue to be accountable for the work we do. Do you think the new news cycle is going to put things into perspective for some people with photos and video coming out of Ukraine depicting what exertion of power by an authoritarian regime actually looks like? It's difficult to know how public opinion will change or whether or not coverage of a war will give people an appreciation for the freedoms that we do have. It may also remind people of the risks that journalists take to tell a story. That's the impact I think that something like the war on Ukraine may have on our profession as journalists is it will be and already is a visceral reminder that journalists are sometimes willing to risk their own safety to tell a story and to make sure it gets out. And so that's the pride I feel when I watch the coverage. I watch the coverage and I feel sick, obviously, when there's a war happening in Europe. But I also feel pride as I see the reporters and the crews out there at their own risk telling that story and serving the greater cause, which is the truth, and to make sure that the public has access to the truth. That's what gets us out of bed every day. Is there a thought you want to close on, Ethan? Just that I would make a plea for civility in criticism of the news and the work journalists are doing. And I really want people to know that we do welcome criticism and we are available to answer for the work we do. And if people find it to be biased or inaccurate or unbalanced, please reach out, please complain, and we will respond and we will be transparent about our process. And if we are getting it wrong, we say so and we fix it. That's what we do. Journalists believe in accountability, not just from government, but from themselves. So I would encourage people who are not happy 
with the coverage they're reading or they're watching to reach out to the newsrooms and let us know because we are responsive. I take those calls and I respond to those emails every day. And if we can keep the discourse civil and constructive, then I think we can move forward. We don't need to threaten violence. That doesn't get us anywhere. Thank you so much for joining us, Ethan. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to Broadcast Dialogue. For more information about the podcast or to receive exclusive access to our weekly briefing about the Canadian media industry, visit us at broadcastdialogue.com. Don't forget to like us on Facebook, connect with us on LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter and SoundCloud. Looking to make the most out of this life and optimize your personal wellness? Then check out the Natural Man Podcast. Join me, host Mike C, as we explore all areas of human wellness, physical, mental, and emotional. Learn strategies to optimize your own well-being and be in the driver's seat of your own health. Remember, your doctor works for you. Learn biohacks, neurohacks, ways to improve sleep, and ways to optimize your body and your mind. Check us out on Apple, Spotify, the Fountain app, and at naturalmanpodcast.com.